I realized that I have toothpaste self-righteousness. That clicked with me for the first time because I always get frustrated when I don't get why anybody would ever squeeze the toothpaste from anywhere but the bottom. It's the only sane way to do that. Yet continually in 12 years of marriage, that has not changed. It's always from the top. And I feel very self-righteous about that. I've cleaned dishes, self-righteousness. Like there's nothing worse for me than to go and get a bowl to put my spaghetti in. And dude, you know, one of the kids is doing the chores that week. And there's like a little chunk of food still on there. You're like, ah, I have... I have anger issues with that kind of stuff. But the, the one that really came to head this weekend was we were on a basketball break um, in the conference, and, and some of the guys found a ball. And so I got, I got my ball out there. I, I was about to get my ball on. So I'm doing my crossovers, you know, and I made the first two shots. I was looking fly. And, um, and then I realized that I was 32 years old. And I was like winded. Two plays in, I was just like... <gasps> You know, just gasping for air. And uh, I airballed the third shot. Like nothing but net except under the hoop, not through the hoop, right? And, uh, and I was like, oh, so, uh, yeah, guys, somebody come in. I don't, I'm getting sweaty. We're about to go back in. I'm getting sweaty. Does somebody want to sub in for me? And one of the guys was like, yeah, I'll sub in for you. And I realized I have basketball self-righteousness. Because the moment I missed that shot, it was, yeah, that was it. I was done, and I started thinking about um, just how many areas of my life, when the gospel, when I'm surrounded by it, when people are talking about it all the time, how much it brings, like, a life into this life we have. The gospel brings life. I started craving, like, oh, man, what if the experience I had this weekend was, like, what church was like? with people all the time, speaking the gospel to one another, experience the life that we have as a result of it. And it was like God kind of flicked me upside the head and said, duh, <laughs> that is what church is supposed to be like, right? That is, that is the life of the gospel people in community on mission. And so I'm excited about that. I'm, I'm super saturated. And uh, we are talking about specifically that, um, through January and February, and that's the gospel basics. And the hope that we have is that when the gospel gets into the heart of who we are, it will be at the heart of everything that we do. How many of you want that? Want the gospel to be at the heart of everything that you do? At least 80% of this crowd is into that, so I'm in the right place today. That's, that's a good percentage. I'm going to read two scriptures, and then... Um, and then we're going to dive in today. Um, and just, just by way of remembrance of where we've been and where we're going in this series with Gospel Basics, we have talked about the gospel power of who God is and what he's done for us and what that means for our life. And, and the gospel purpose, the, the context with which we live life now in light of what God has done. And for the last two weeks, we've talked about our new identity in Christ as a family of servants. And today we're talking about how we're also called to be missionaries, family of missionary servants, living life together. And for the next through February, we're going to talk about, so how do we live in light of that? All right, so who God is, what he's done, who we are now, our new identity in Christ. And then that, like Tom said a couple of weeks ago, our doing will flow from our being, not vice versa. We don't do all these righteous works to try to get in good with God and high fives from our church community. But we are already in good with God because of what Christ has done. We have a new identity and now we live out of that. And so I'm excited for what February holds. But today we're talking about our missionary identity. Everybody say missionary. missionary. You have to say it with a southern drawl. Yeah, missionary. Missionary. It's good. John 6, 37, 38. And then John 20, 21. If you uh, have your Bibles, you can turn. If not, those two scriptures will be on the screen. Jesus is talking in John chapter 6. Just after his encounter with the woman at the well and his disciples come back. And this is what he says. He says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, 
but the will of the one who sent me. Not to do my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. And in John 20, 21, Jesus said to them again, this is toward the end of his ministry, he says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Missionary. The sent ones. Everybody say, that's me. How many of you guys have been on like a foreign missionary trip before? I want Kenny, if you, if you can, just to come up for a second and share a story of Kenny's encounter on a foreign missions trip. And I just want you to, if you haven't experienced that, I want you to listen to his experience so you can at least experience it vicariously through the story. So um, Vince asked me earlier this week to, to share a little bit of uh, a story from the first, um, the first mission trip I went on was in 2009. Uh, and let's see, I went to Kenya and it was January, so I was there like right now, five years ago, my first time out of the country, and we were doing uh, ministry mainly in like one of the largest slums on earth. And I remember I, at that point in my life, I had been, I'd never been out of the country, I'd never gone on a mission trip. I had been in ministry for a while, I was a youth pastor, I moved out to California to be a youth pastor, and I got to the end of uh, kind of my time as a youth pastor, and I, there was something in my heart that said, you know what, I had done kind of what everyone in the church was happy with and what they wanted. But in my heart, it was like, I didn't, I'm not really being faithful to what God's calling me to. It's almost like my hands are clean. They're not dirty with ministry. And, mm. and so that was like part of the call to go. I felt really called to go on this trip to Kenya. So I went and, um, I went with a team and it was one of the, it was just incredible. It was like a 90, 90 day trip. It was over there for three months. And, there were so many things that were awesome about it, and I guess I'll just go into a few of those really quick. One was that we were always living in community. So, you know, about sharing meals, we talk about that a lot. We shared every meal, <laughs> even if it was just peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for lunch every day for 90 days straight. I said I went on the international missionary diet. I lost a belt loop for each month I was gone. But I didn't care because I had so much fun just sharing the meals with people around me. And, and every morning we would start out with, I would, I would pray with a, a group from my team before we would eat breakfast. And then there would be a time for devotion after breakfast before we would go out into ministry. And then we would go out to ministry together, not alone, but in teams. And we would see crazy things. Sometimes there would be awesome things. We'd pray for people and, and you know, we'd be sharing the gospel in a little mud hut and, and, and a a woman who was nursing her baby at her breast would give her life to Christ in the middle of breastfeeding, which I wasn't used to that. But <laughs> we'd see like amazing things like that. Or like my friend, he's my friend now, but he wasn't my friend when I met him in between houses. And, and we say, is there anything we can pray for you for? And, and me, I got a, a couple other guys from my team. We prayed for God to heal his eyes. And we found out like three weeks later that God did heal his eyes and that the whole trip later he was free from pain. Like, there was amazing things that we saw, and at the end of each day, there, we would have, you know, just impromptu times of worship. With, you know, I always had my guitar ready in case someone wanted to do worship songs together as a group, and we would share a meal at night, and we'd pray together, and we'd go through, you know, what was the hardest part of the day? What was, um, what was really awesome? We're like, where did you really see God show up? All right, where were you struggling today? And we got to share that and have people speak the gospel into that. Um, there was so much like built-in accountability. There was so much focus. Uh, we didn't even the place where we were staying. We didn't even have chairs or sofas or anything. So you imagine three months without a chair to sit on. Like I lost belt loops and my butt was flat. But but there was it just it it lent you so much to to get out of your comfort zone to be there to have a mission to have a focus and to have people with you that were speaking the gospel into you and. And when I came back to the States, I was involved with Anchor, and I had, I'd even had, like, I think a vision or two about the, like, what God wanted me to do with Anchor and, and how I wanted to, you know, get people together to pray and how we needed to share meals together and how maybe I could get, you know, some roommates and whatever else. And it wasn't too long 
till I realized that things were a little bit different than my mission trip. Things, things back here in San Diego, in beautiful, sunny San Diego, were somehow not as quite focused or quite as sharp. And it was kind of easy to share, I mean, kind of hard to share meals together when you're not don't have another option <laughs> when you when you had all these other options it was kind of hard to you know i try to get people to get hey do you want to get together and pray in the morning and they're like morning what's that or you know i have to go surf can we pray before i surf like um so i kept running into all these obstacles and and i found that it wasn't really sharing life and i wanted to have this place where i was living with other christians at least that i could encourage and we could have this mission and focus. And at the time I was renting a room downtown that wasn't even a room. Like my fourth wall was a sheet. And so I couldn't even have anyone over. It's like, it, like I opened the sheet, like come hang out, sit on my bed. Like, just, like I couldn't host anyone. We couldn't like share meals together. And, and very soon it was very, very, very discouraging. It came and it wasn't even, I don't I know that it was amazing to be in Kenya, to be somewhere else, to be in, in a slum area, uh, to be serving those people. But one of the bigger things that I missed than any of that was that lifestyle of focus, of, of waking up. And I know that I'm serving the Lord today. And before I eat breakfast, I'm going to pray with three other people. <laughs> And then I'm going to eat breakfast and then I'm going to read the Bible and I'm going to pray for God to illuminate in my heart. And then, and then before I go out, we're going to pray together and we're going to go out into mission. And then when we come back, we're going to tell stories. It brought so much focus. Like over dinner, like what did God do in your heart today? What did God do while you were out on mission today? And I miss that so much that, um, you know, I think Vince probably got the really negative part of that is he was counseling and gospeling my heart because I'm just like, this is horrible. <laughs> Being on mission in San Diego is terrible. And then, and I got some of that self-righteousness that Vince was talking about too. I can't get anyone else to join me on mission. What's wrong with these people? But um, I know that was in there too. So uh, I think that, I think I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to drop it right there. That's it's awesome. a little bit of the, yeah, I'm, I'm going to leave it there. That's awesome. <laughs> Thanks, Kenny. Yeah, give me a hand clap. Yeah. Yeah. How many of you guys would like to experience what Kenny experienced over there right here? That closeness of community, that gospel centrality, that sense of purpose in mission. That is what you were recreated for. That is part of your gospel identity. That is what is missing when you feel like something is lacking in your Christian experience. And so today we're going to talk about how we can get that. And it all starts with God. Our God is a missionary God. He's not a God that's like the deists believe. He just kind of created us like an ant farm and left and just sat back and watched. But he is intricately involved in the details of human history in your and my life. And all starts in the garden. We see God's missionary hearts. What? This is going to be less of a sermon and more of a dialogue, more of a family time. What? happened in the garden they adam and eve what did they do after they were created and god said two trees you know tree of life tree of the knowledge of good and evil it's kind of like that choice of your way or my way what, what did they choose they did to put it as mike said they screwed up yeah those people over there screwed up they are sinners right if i had been there Yeah. <laughs> and what did they do right after they sinned? What's the first thing they did? They hid. They ran and they hid from God. We're naked, right? What did God do? Immediately. He chased after. He came looking for them. He went on a rescue mission. That is God's heart. If you want to know what God's heart is towards you, that is it. Later on, fast forward the story, the Exodus. God has this special people. He calls them out of Egypt, out of slavery. And God's special people sinned against him. What did they do? Anybody? Go ahead. Golden calf. Yeah. 
They didn't trust him to deliver the promised land. What, what's God's response? He says, I want you to build a tabernacle in the midst of my people. Why? So that he could dwell with them. It's as if God is saying, I just have to get closer to my people. I want to live among them and guide them and protect them. That is God's heart. Fast forward the story. We run into a guy named Jesus, the God-man. God sent his own son on this ultimate missionary trip to rescue and renew creation and restore humanity, right? Jesus was God on a mission. The word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood, as Eugene Peterson says. God became a missionary. What was that like for him? I mean, imagine, just if you will, incarnating Jesus, God, leaving heaven and coming to earth as a helpless baby in, in skin, in flesh that can feel pain, that can feel hurt, that can feel rejection. Right? That's what Jesus subjects himself to. The slavery of pain and sorrow and hurt. And he's born as a poor baby in a manger. He didn't come like born into the Gates family. You know, he, he was born in a barn, literally. All for love's sake became poor. He left riches and comfort. He left it all. And he, I, he didn't say that, at least there's no record of him saying, man, this was a bad idea. God, can we just like, can I just get back up there? I'm having second thoughts. You know, that kid called me a name and I want to punch him really bad. You know, you don't have any recording of Jesus like having a heart to leave it all behind and go back. Never did what was wrong. Sins of commission. Never. Not even as a two year old, which is crazy for me to imagine. Because I have one and he's cute, but that kid's a sinner. I mean, sorry if that messes with your theology pretty broken kid <laughs> but he's so cute he always he not only never sinned but he always does what is good and right and perfect right he says in the scripture we read i do not my own will but the will of the one who sent me man imagine what your life and my life would be like if we could say that i never do my own will i do the will of the one who sent me how would your life look different he lived perfectly in our place, loved the unlovable, accepted the unacceptable, forgave the unforgivable, spoke the truth with brilliance, but he didn't just say it. It wasn't just words. He lived it. He showed people what the truth was like in the flesh. People got to see it lived out right before their eyes, right? He spoke and listened as the Spirit directed, worked and rested at the Spirit's leave. He served and he celebrated with gospel intentionality. And he didn't take a day off his mission. Right? It wasn't like, you know, today's just a rough day. Can I, I just want to pass to go blow off some steam. I'm just going to sin a little today, you know. Just get away with it. Nobody will know. He was perfect. Day in, day out, showing the world what God was like. He came to live among us, to be with us. Like Kenny's story going on mission to be with people. Yeah, they're serving and loving and celebrating and giving and all those things, but the point is being with them and showing them what the gospel is like and telling them, demonstrating and declaring. And then, of course, we know the gospel story. He reconciled us to God by sacrificing that perfect life in our place and dying the death we should have died, becoming sin so we could become the very righteousness of God. And that blows me away. I mean, next time somebody brings up your past or your flesh reminds you or Satan reminds you of your failures and tempts you to fall again, just remind them I'm free from that. I am defined not by sin anymore, but by the righteousness of God. Scripture says, I am the righteousness of God now. But he didn't stop there, right? He does this thing that changes history. Jesus did something that would change the world and our lives forever. He says, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. And he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. 
And then he left us to be with his father and he sent his spirit to live inside of us even closer than walking around and hanging out with us. God now lives inside of his people, inside of his family. And so now if we fast forward to today, just as Jesus' father sent him, the father sends us now. That's what the word missionary means, right? Sent one. If you are a Christian, you are a sent one. To your identity. Do you, do you believe that? Yes. It's not like what you do and don't do, right? Good day, bad day, Christianity. Some days I live like a missionary. Some days, some days I'm not a missionary. You know, No, you don't stop being a Christian because you sin or are righteous, right? You're a Christian because of what he's done for you. And you're a missionary because that is his identity now given to you. You are a missionary. Whether you act like it or not, that is your identity. In Christ. Billy Graham said, famous quote, we are the Bibles the world is reading. A big part of being a missionary is incarnating. Jesus incarnating, that's, that, that's, that's a big word. I'm taking a Spanish class right now to be on mission here at City College. And uh, we started our first class learning the alphabet, which starts off really easy. You know, A, B, C, C, D. And then it gets up to like, Jota. You're like, what is that? You know? Or why is Y? Like, why can't it just be E or Y? Like, why, why are we complicating this? But my favorite Spanish word so far is carne. Especially with asada at the end. I love carne. I hope we have some today for the Super Bowl, right? Carne. But it's that same Latin word, carne, which means flesh. He incarnated. Jesus came in the flesh. But it means more than he just appeared as a human, right? Give me some idea. What When you think of the, the, the idea that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, he incarnated, what does that mean to you? What do you think of practically on the ground? What's that look like? He's with us. He's with us. Good. Yeah. What else? He got tired. Yeah. He got tired and sick. Yeah. What else? Fire away. Yeah felt pain how about little stuff what are some of the things we do every day yeah marco he's not aloof anymore yeah he's not separated but he's subjugating himself to um to life as a human but what else what are some of the basic things that you do every day yeah he got hungry and ate yeah he had chores yeah yes he did he got irritated we have Records of that. It's awesome. Anybody remember that temple scene, right, with the the whips? Yeah. He had to put his put his pants on, just like the rest of you, one leg at a time. Yeah. Yeah. He wore the clothes. He entered into a culture, didn't he? Went to parties. Went to parties, and he brought the better wine. <laughs> Love that, right? He talked like them. He learned their language, dressed like them, ate their food, sang their songs. What does it look like for us to incarnate? Let's get really practical. What does it look like for you and I today here in San Diego to incarnate, to be like Jesus in that, to be a missionary? Okay. To be forgiven. We have forgiving. Yeah. So part of the truth of God is his grace and his mercy toward us, right? He's given us so much grace and mercy. If we believe that truth of the gospel, we're going to live like we believe it. We're going to incarnate that. We're going to be a forgiving people. We're going to give grace to others just as we've received it in Christ. Yeah. What else? What are some of the other things we'll, we'll do? Yeah. Yeah. Part- yeah. We'll live life, right? Super Bowl, Chargers game, or Broncos. Seahawks. <laughs> Let's just stop it right there. Save it for the Super Bowl party. Yeah. Leaving everything every day to go on mission, on God's mission. Joining in with a culture like a, like a good missionary, right? Eating the food. I remember my grandma uh, and grandpa were missionaries to Japan. And I remember a story she told where 
she literally, um, they were having a tough time for like a year breaking into the culture. And finally somebody invited them over to the house and they sat on the floor, which she wasn't used to. They had chairs at their house for um, three and a half hours at a meal. And in order to like really break into the culture, they offered her fish eyeballs, which she was not used to being from America. And so uh, she ate them as a delicacy. And then she got up and her circulation had been cut off for sitting in the same way for three and a half hours. And she had to have somebody carry her home. Um, but that's how they broke into the culture. They took on the cultural customs, right, in order to, in order to break into the culture. What's, what's our mission, Phil? When you think of San Diego, what are some things you think of? Yes. Recently, recently, we got rated the number two beer city in America, according to Men's Health. So, number one was Denver. But you know what's funny? Two beer cities are in the Super Bowl. So, Denver, Seattle. Yeah, anyway. Maybe one day we'll make it. Just keep going with that beer thing. What else? What else besides beer? What else do you think of? Music scene, yeah. Indie, indie hip hop culture here, not quite as big as LA, but it's growing. Yeah, what else? Swing dancing, yes, absolutely. One of those things I'd love to watch and never ever try to do. <laughs> what else? Surfing. How about relaxing? Chilling. That's what we love to do. Um, actually some quick breakdown. We have different cultures in our area, 29%. This is according to the most recent demographics, 29% Latin American, 51% Caucasian, 5% African American, 10% Asian American. And then the rest are all under 1%. We've got a lot of different subcultures though, right? Some of those things we're talking about, surfers, ballers, hip hop, skaters, foodies, techies. Subcultures based on religion, preference, occupation, beer, like we said. It's worth repeating, you know. (laughs) The median age in San Diego right now is 32.5, which is my age. (laughs) About 50% of San Diego residents are between 20 and 40 years old. Okay, Young city focused on professionalism, health, and success. Most of the young professionals are single. 39.8% of San Diego City is single, non-family households. Almost 40% of the city single. And in downtown is the largest concentration of singles, and it's up to 80% at highest estimates. A lot of singles, yeah. Um, We're the eighth largest city in the U.S., second largest in Cali. Fourth least segregated city. Love that statistic. Want to move up to number one, but fourth is, is not too bad. Fifth wealthiest city in the U.S. Median income is sixty-six grand a year. This is interesting. Um, if you add up all the different, this is a study done by USC. Add up all of the different um, evangelical Christian churches, it adds up to eleven point four percent of San Diego. So. Evangelical Christians, we are Southern Baptist, Presbyterian. You add them all up together, 11.4%. The same statistic in mainland communist China is 8%. So we're only 3.4% more Christian than communist China. And it means it's a mission field, right? Mission field. So we have to start thinking like like missionaries. Not just, not just doing life and... High-fiving everybody and once in a while inviting somebody to church. But it takes a radically different approach. And part of that is entering into the um, culture with the gospel. Not, not just in, in word, but in an incarnational lifestyle. Something that we believe so deeply that it's going to actually change the way that we, we think and we speak and live and prioritize and plan. Something that's so pervasive in our hearts that's beginning to come out of our pores. Right? Speaking of beer, um, there was this time when we, uh, we were having a Bible study at Princess Pub. Never forget this story. And um, it, was, it was, you know, anybody know where Princess Pub is? Like English Pub over in Little Italy. Kind of a weird place for an English pub, but awesome spot. They have darts. And we used to do these Bible studies over there. And I went in one night and I had a box of Bibles. It said Bibles on it. Just big old box. 
And uh, I was sitting at the bar, um, grabbing a beer before the service. And this guy walks up to me, he's kind of feeling, is that a box of Bibles? <laughs> yes, it is. In a bar? <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. That's weird. <laughs> he just like walked away. That was it. <laughs> Missional, right? Um, but then this, this guy sitting next to me, he says, um, so you guys are doing a Bible study in the bar, huh? I said, yeah. And so we started talking. He ended up being a JetBlue airline pilot. And um, so he, uh, we talked. And I said, well, we're going to go start this Bible study. You can come over if you want. I may, may work my way over there. And um, I'll never forget, we're sitting there and we're talking about Acts. And there was a lot of stuff going on in my life I won't go into. But it was this really affirming moment for me. Um, and, and while I'm sitting there, the, the JetBlue airline pilot walks over, and he's, he's sitting there across from me. And we're just talking about Acts chapter 2. And partway through, I look over, and he's like wiping tears from his eyes. And at the end, he told me that he had been away from church for a long time. He's from South Carolina or something. But that God had really used that moment. He said, I, I want you to know I've given my heart back to Christ. It's been too long. When I get back home, I'm going to be in touch with you. I'm going to plug into a church. All because I carried a box of Bibles into a bar. And I know that's a weird story. It's not something you do every day, right? Maybe you go to a bar every day, but not always with a box of Bibles. But God used this, like, really beautiful moment in the middle of a bar in San Diego to tug at somebody's heart and call them back to him. And it was one of those moments where I said, you know what? God's affirming I'm on the right track with this crazy, wild, missional approach to life. And I know when we think of missional living, sometimes we think of adding a lot of stuff to our life. Like when I go to the bar, I need to bring a box of Bibles. But that's, that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about spending more money or spending a lot more time doing things. But we talk about missional living is the gospel actually changes the entire way we live when the gospel gets into your heart the heart of who you are it will begin to change the heart of everything that you do you start doing everyday ordinary things for radically different reasons how many of you guys have actually gotten a taste of that or experienced that at some point isn't it amazing when you're working out and you've been working out for a long time, right? But all of a sudden you get a taste of what it could be like to be on mission in that workout time. So you invite a buddy or two, either from work or from your gospel community, and you're there and working out and you finally take the headphones out and you're actually having a conversation while you're on the treadmill or doing whatever that you're doing. And, and God begins to move and God brings people into your path. And all of a sudden you have an opportunity to bring the gospel into somebody's life who is hurting and broken and desperately in need of the good news of the gospel. And just because you opened up an ordinary part of your life that you do every day or three times a week or never, if you're me, you have this opportunity to speak truth into somebody's life. Because you just made a little bit of room. For God to move. Instead of putting the earphones on, putting the sunglasses on, you know, and just running in place for an hour. Or lunch. I mean, most people, almost everybody eats lunch every day. And it's, what a golden opportunity to invite a friend from work and just hear their story. And get to share your story. And maybe in there, God will open up an opportunity for you to point them to him through your story. Or hear where they're hurting and be able to speak a, a word of good news to them. It's, it's not this radically different lifestyle, but it is. It's totally different. It's, it looks very ordinary on the outside, but the heart of it has totally been... It's, it's had open heart surgery, so to speak. The Holy Spirit has like ripped out the old heart and replaced it, the old heart of stone and replaced it with a heart of flesh. And the gospel becomes a thing that motivates everything in our life. When the gospel gets into the heart of who you are, it will be at the heart of everything you do. There's this, uh, I remember Kenny and them telling us a story. Uh, trying to start a missional community and ended up for like a month or two just kind of being a Bible study, sitting around in their apartment, three guys. One of the guys said, hey, I think it was... I think it was I forget which one offered the idea of doing a barbecue 
for the neighborhood. And Tyson, Tyson got up and said, let's go door knocking and inviting everybody right now. So they, they did. And they just went out, radical faith, invited all the neighbors in their complex to a barbecue. And then Kenny tells the story way better, but a couple of things stand out. One, when they did the barbecue, a bunch of people showed up. One of the kids had lived at that apartment complex his entire life, never lived anywhere else, and said nobody has ever done anything like this here. And they just got to have normal conversations with people. Talk about sports and music and life. And Ashley from upstairs, who you guys just celebrated with her and Brian. And what was it, the New Year? Lunar New Year? Hanging out with them. She came down and, and she opened up. And over the next few weeks, she started asking for more information about the Bible and about prayer. And God moved in her heart and we baptized her a few weeks later because somebody had a barbecue and just had normal life and hung out and had a good time. People are hungry. They'll find you. We, we, we started, speaking of Tyson, we started um, in a bar and uh, a long time ago and, and uh, started this Bible study. And Kashima brought Tyson and Tyson came the first night drunk out of his mind. And uh, <laughs> he, he, he gets angry at me if I tell that story without saying he was drunk. He always adds it. I'll say, and Tyson came, he's like, and I was drunk! <laughs> Tyson. Um, and, and God chose that night to move on Tyson's heart in, in a wonderful way. And, and a few months later, fast forward, me and Tyson and Ian, who had come, come to Christ again in Princess Pub, we're sitting there doing a DNA in a hookah lounge. And the girl who's always there at the hookah lounge, Cynthia, has just got a scowl on her face that day. She did almost every day. She did just a scowl. And Tyson walked up to her. I was scared of her. But Tyson wasn't. And Tyson asked her what was wrong, how, how he could help her. And they started talking. He invited her to a Sunday gathering. Down at, she didn't want to come. And he said, but it's in a nightclub. And she was like, well, that's weird. I'll, I'll check that out. So she came. And she ended up getting really excited. And she ended up bringing Kenny. And now Kenny Kay, who's part of the leadership of this church, and, and yours is a wild story. <laughs> death metal? Yeah, death metal. And God moved miraculously on his heart. And God brought... It's the ordinary, ordinary everyday things, right? It's not some big, crazy, special thing. Nancy and I, we decided to start throwing barbecues at 900 F Street because we had this big courtyard... With two barbecue pits, and nobody was ever out there. What are we going to do with that? You know, so we just started hanging out in the courtyard and um, throwing barbecues. And pretty soon, one of the the managers came up and said, "We would love it if you guys would just kind of help us throw some more of these barbecues because we love this sense of community that's happening. All these single people living behind their doors, isolated. They started coming out and hanging out in the courtyard." And the managers saw what was happening. They saw the joy and the love that was going on. And they asked us to throw their Christmas party for them, help them start planning stuff for them. It was crazy. One night, another guy, drunk out of his mind, William, came in. He confessed that he was suicidal. He was done. The girl had just broken his heart. He was over it. And Kenny and I got to sit there and talk to him in his drunken state and preached the gospel to him and he gave his heart to christ right there in our courtyard drunk and suicidal no more well maybe a little drunk but not suicidal anymore and god did a work in his life you see how normal all of this is so i want to talk about three ways briefly to process our missionary identity three kind of lenses that we can look at it through that scripture uses the first one is the idea of a priest priest. I'm going to read this from First um, Peter 2.9. But you are... Say, that's me. That's me. That's, everybody say, that's me. Peter's talking to you. <laughs> I love confusing people. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, 
but now you have received mercy. When Peter's talking about that, he's, he's kind of alluding to this ancient story from the foot of Sinai when God came down and spoke to Moses and told him, gather all the people. I'm going to speak to them from a cloud on top of the mountain. And God told Moses this. He said in, in Exodus 19, Therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words you shall speak to the people of Israel. When you think of priests, what do you think of? What's the first thing that comes to mind? A loose word association. What's that? Confession. Okay. What else? What else do you think of? Sacrifices. Rome? Robe. Oh, a robe. Yes. A Roman robe? A robe. Yeah, what else? What else do you think of? A linen ephod. Very articulate. I like it. <laughs> Good. I think, I think in the terms of like ministers, right? They were the people that connected people to God. I think of tabernacles and temples and sacrifice. We are all ministers. Not just the elders, not just the missional community leaders or gospel community leaders or people that are teaching the kids in the classes, but we are all ministers. All of us. We are the tabernacles. Romans 12, 1 says, Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. You are not your own. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says, We have this treasure in jars of clay to show this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. 2 Corinthians 5 said, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, and he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. We are ministers of reconciliation with God in us. His tabernacles. No longer do people have to go over to a tabernacle to sacrifice, but now the gospel has gone viral, right? It's gone grassroots. God is sending out his tabernacles, his temples, his priests, his ministers of reconciliation all over the world. You ever thought about that? What a picture that is, that you are a minister of God in your neighborhood. That God is dwelling in you like he did in the tabernacle amidst the broken and hurting people so that he can be near them, so that he can touch them, so that they can be connected through your very life to God. Look at your neighbor in the eye real quick and say, you are God's answer for your neighborhood. Do you believe that? How many of you had that awkward moment where you looked at your husband or wife and said that? (laughs) Ministers of reconciliation. (laughs) In fact, I want to read that passage in 2 Corinthians. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, say, that's me. me. Nailed it. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is Christ. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And entrusting to us this message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors ambassadors. That's the second lens. Ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we in him might become the very righteousness of God. Paul talks about himself in Ephesians 6 as an ambassador in chains. What do you imagine when you imagine an ambassador? What's that? Diplomatic immunity. Yeah. Nice. (laughs) That was a word. Yes. What? Black Mercedes. Little flags in the front. Yeah. Representative. Okay. Yeah. What else do you think of? What? Danger. Yeah. 
Yeah. Embassies, ambassadors. Good. Representative that's not part of the culture, but living in the midst of the culture. In the world, but not of the world kind of thing, right? Learning the customs, the language, and the values. Discovering the bridges and the barriers for their message that they're bringing into a new culture. Right? Contextualizing. Imagine with me if you were an ambassador and you're far away from your life, your home, your comfort zone, your familiarity in a foreign country, foreign culture, and faraway land on mission for your king. Right? You could get sidetracked by a million things, couldn't you? You could get engrossed in the intricacies of a foreign culture and get intoxicated with the wine of romance or befriended by the enemy. There are a million distractions that could derail you from accomplishing your mission, but you must keep the mindset of the one who is sent, the ambassador. The moment you forget why you're there, you get distracted, off course. You end up with like a form of Stockholm Syndrome, held so captive by the culture that you begin to identify with it more than your true identity. And you lose yourself in the culture. Jesus said, I do not my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. He never forgot why he was sent into the world. That thought was always in the back of his mind. Think think about, just imagine what it would look like for the church to be a family of ambassadors all over this city. And the third one I want to point out is a priest, ambassador. One more is really quickly is, is the idea of witness. Jesus is talking to his disciples in Luke and he says, But before all of this, they will lay their hands upon you. This was in our CBR reading for this week. Luke 21, And persecute you, delivering you up to synagogues and prison. You will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. And this will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds not to meditate beforehand on how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. Jesus calls them witnesses. He also says in Acts 1.8, you will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. What does it mean to be a witness? What do you think of when you think of a witness? Giving a testimony of something. Yeah. Experience something firsthand. Yeah. Bearing witness to it. Yeah. Telling the truth. Yeah. Talking. <laughs> right? Talking. I remember this old gospel song when I was growing up. Jesus is on trial. Will you be a witness? Barrett sisters, look it up. It's awesome, right? And maybe you say, man, Jesus isn't on trial. People love him. They make bobbleheads out of him and t-shirts. He's awesome. He's never been more popular. But that's not the Jesus we're talking about. The true Jesus, the historical Jesus, the God-man who came on a mission for your and my heart. We have an opportunity to bear witness to what he has done, both historically and right in our lives. Bearing witness like the stories I told earlier of what God's done in our neighborhoods, in our families. To discover how many signposts there are all around us already pointing to him and just point people there. When the gospel gets into the heart of who you are, it will be at the heart of everything you do. Imagine a church of witnesses going out and sharing what God had done in their lives. No matter whether you were raised in Christianity or not, We all have something in common. The reason we're all here this morning is because God sent someone. Whether you're a 12th generation Christian or it's your first time ever at a church gathering, the reason we're here is because God sent someone. And now we are the sent ones. Sometimes we struggle with that. You ever struggle with that? Last question I have for us today is, why? What are some of the struggles we have with living this out? Believing that we are, in fact, God's missionaries to San Diego. Faith. Good. Yeah. We struggle with a lack of faith, don't we? 
Maybe it's a lack of faith that God can actually move in somebody's life. God can speak through you or that he will. Marco? Yeah, getting caught up. Yeah. In San Diego, though? I mean, there's not many distractions here. It's We live in Vacation City, full of distractions, right? It's easy to get caught up and distracted. How many of you have caught yourself living for your own missions instead of his? Every day, right? Every day. The more aware I am of the gospel and my need for him, the more I realize, man, I am living for all these other missions instead of his. Mm. That's great. Yeah. One of the things they said this weekend is that the power of your faith is not dependent on how big or small your faith is, but it's dependent on the object of your faith. That's good. What else? What are some of the other reasons? Oh, that's big, isn't it? Yeah. I'm sure you're totally the only one that struggles with that here. How many of us fear what other people will think about us? I have been a secret agent Christian for far too long. It's like a thing where we do a lot of good works and just wait for them to ask. And then if they ask, it's like, yeah, I'm I'm a Christian, you know. Yeah. Fear. It's infinitely easier to be friends with people and maybe serve them than it is to intentionally disciple them. Because I'm afraid they'll reject me. Especially if I'm doing good things and sharing the good news, right? What's the answer to that? I think one of the one of the problems is in that moment when that happens to me, I'm loving myself more than I'm loving God or others. That's why I'm afraid. Right. But God, the father is the one who gives faith. Jesus is the one who truly cared for them and cares for me. And the spirit's the one who grants repentance and illuminates the truth. So the pressure's off. It's not a burden on me to perform and get them to believe the gospel. It's, it's, it's God's burden. It's on Him, and it's my blessing to be participating in it, right? Yeah. All of life is an opportunity to share the gospel with people. I, I remember I was talking to my kids the other day when we were out doing our family Instagramming trip. <laughs> I told them, I said, if you look around you, There's always something that you can capture, something beautiful around you with an Instagram. So I want you to try. We're we're not at like some big scenic vista or overlooking the cliffs of La Jolla. We're just in a really rinky-dink part of town, but there's beauty all around us. Can you see it? Can you capture it with your phone? And they were like, yes. (laughs) That's awesome. In that same way, if you will open your eyes, there are gospel opportunities all around you all the time. And the Holy Spirit wants to lead you into those moments to take a step of faith and share some good news with somebody who, yeah, maybe they will reject you. Maybe they will. Is that the worst thing that can happen? How many times have I stepped out and God has brought somebody to faith in Him in that moment? And if I had been held back by fear, oh man, what, what would have happened? What would have happened? God used that opportunity to call them to Him. I want to remind you of some gospel truth. As the musicians come and get ready to play, I want to remind you that God loves you. That God loved you before the foundations of the world. That He chose you. And Jesus was sent as a missionary to take your place, to to live the life you could not live, to die a death that you and I should have died. But because of Christ, God actually delights in you. He likes you. And He loves you. If you never did one more thing, if you never had one more missional conversation, He would still delight in you. Today is not a motivational talk to get you to go out and do. 
It's a reminder of what your life can look like and the life and joy you'll experience when you live from who you are. When you really believe the gospel truth that what Jesus did actually changes you at the core and redirects your life and gives you a whole new motivation. This is your identity. And it's secured. It's purchased with Christ's own blood for you. He loves you. He chose you. Now you're adopted and you get a chance to enter into the family business. So who's ready to sign up for the family business? We got one. We got one taker. And this is the life we get to live. The life that Kenny was talking about that he experienced over there is the life we were meant to live here. A family of missionary servants living life together on God's mission, serving the world around us and experiencing the great joy and life and hope and the fruit of the Spirit that comes from believing the gospel. I want to share one final story as they start strumming gently. About four months ago, uh, I was on a Sabbath and I was sitting out in my courtyard with a Mai Tai and a hookah and a book. And, um, because that's what I do on my Sabbath sometimes. And uh, this guy, Bernard, came out. He came out three times while I was out there. Found out he's a chain smoker. Every 20 minutes is kind of his thing. He's on that rhythm. So I got to talk to him a lot. I mean, talked about church. And he said he could never come because the moment he entered into the church, God would strike him dead. And so with, with that discussion, we got to talk about God's grace. And I just, I, I tried to talk about it and, and, you know, kind of get a feel for how he was responding. And some of the parts he was like listening to and other parts he was like, no, that's, that can't be true, you know. But I kept bumping into him, always smoking, right? So walking through the courtyard, here comes Bernard lighting up. And uh, we would just laugh and chat. He started calling me Rev. Um, he introduced me to his wife. And two weeks ago, uh, Zach was over and we started talking about Star Trek and, um, I asked if you see the new movie. He said no. So I let him borrow our Blu-ray of the new Star Trek Into Darkness. Um, and uh, he borrowed it, and they watched it a couple times. And I brought it to their house. I noticed their massive Stephen King collection. And we started talking about modern literature. and Just normal conversations with Bernard and his wife. Um, the other day, he was sitting out on the table, and he had a Bible with him. I was like, dude, that's awesome. Would you like to talk about that sometime? And he said, no, man, no. You know what? I figure it's like a mechanic. You know, you work on cars all day. You probably get home and you don't want to look at a car. <laughs> I was like, no, it's actually the opposite. I I would love to talk about this with you. And uh, so, so yesterday um, I bumped into him again and he invited me to come over and, and say hi to his wife and come chill at their house for a little. So I did. And I told him me and Nancy would like to invite you guys over to dinner sometime. And um, he said, yeah, that, that, we'd like that. We, we were just thinking that, you know. So um, we were thinking of doing the same thing with you guys. So next week they're going to come over to our house for dinner. It's, that, that's the guy that God's brought into my life now. Right, one of, one of the stories of people that God has intersected in my path. That God is doing a work. And so I just want to ask you a few questions. And if you'll close your eyes and prayerfully just kind of respond, prayerfully answer. Who has God placed in your life right now? Who, who is your Bernard? And what would change in your life if you lived like a full-time missionary right now where you are? Are you living as God's answer to your neighborhood? If not, what's standing in your way? Could it be said that you're a a friend of sinners? Do you have close relationships and trust with several not yet believers? What things in your heart come in the way of you living out this gospel identity we're talking about? How is God speaking to you right now about his mission in your life? 
Is God calling you to celebrate and share stories with others today similar to those we shared here because you've been getting it and this truth is, is radiating out of your life? If so, we want to celebrate with you. We want to share those stories. Or maybe you look at the actions of your life and they betray a heart that's not really believing the gospel in this area. Is his gospel reaching out to the unreached people groups of your heart this morning? Is God calling you to repent and believe the gospel again of his saving love for you? I want us to move toward a time of response. And uh, I'm actually going to ask Zach, if you're okay with it, just to come up here. And Tom, if you're open to it, it'd be awesome. Um, maybe one in the front, one in the back. If you would like prayer, you say, man, that's, I really feel like I need to repent or I really feel like I haven't been living out my missionary identity. I haven't really been trusting for fear or for whatever reason, comfort. Um, I don't have enough time, whatever it is. And you would like prayer. I'd, I'd love for us elders to be available to pray with you. And we're also going to have a time of communion, of course, with the bread and the wine. And it's a reminder as you go and take communion in community, maybe with your missional community. If you don't have one, just ask somebody to take it with you. Communion is a time where we remember that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life in your place, in the flesh that was broken for you on the cross. And when you partake of that bread, it's a reminder, a proclamation of the gospel that you're not judged by your righteousness, but by his or your lack of righteousness. And his blood was shed for you to forgive you of every sin. And there's nothing so bad you can't confess today that it can't be covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. So as we go to the communion spots and take communion with our communities, or if you want to come and have prayer today with Zach or Tom, um, we, we'd love to open up some time for you to just respond to what God is saying. We've got plenty of time before the Super Bowl. And if you're really hungry, there's probably some muffins left. But let's take a second and let the God of the universe speak to our hearts and challenge us. And remind us of his great love for us and his great love through us to the lives around us. I'm going to pray over you as, uh, as we prepare. Father, I know that more often than not, I do not believe this good news and I don't live out of it. I, instead of serving, I find people who will line up around me and serve me and give to me. Instead of being a family, I wrap my life around this individual sense and approach to life. I'm a consumer of consumers. And instead of being a missionary, God, on your mission and leaving my life behind to follow you, I continually get caught up in my own little missions and the missions even of other people that eventually will lead to a pat on my back or make me feel good. God, I pray that you would save me again and remind me of what you've done for me, of who you are and who I am now in light of that, God. Speak to my heart. Speak to every heart in this place. Holy Spirit as we just create some space for you in our week and say, talk to me, move in my heart. I need you, God. Give me some resuscitation in my soul. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Is it on? Um... I know for me, as I was listening today, I'm literally really tired just from a, a, a long week of work. And I'm hearing this message, and it's good news. It's really good news. But I'm tired. Um, and I think you could mistakenly hear what Vince is saying today and say, hey, this is on you guys. You need to put this on your plate. Another thing to add. That's not what he's saying. And I, I know for me, just remembering that, that this is something that's not... God doesn't need you to save the world. 
He doesn't need you to reach your neighbors. He doesn't need you to put this on your plate and to take on this burden on your shoulders. I think in in the story of creation, we, we see this picture of God who created man and woman to, to be image bearers of who he is and what his character is like to demonstrate his glory, his love, his, his grace. And... Uh, and we get to be image bearers of him once again perfectly in Christ Jesus. And so, if you're like me, tired, and this is heavy on your heart and on your shoulders, I just want to encourage you that the burden is light. Jesus said that, that the burden is light. And uh, I want to encourage you to just, just find your hope and rest in the work that's already done in Christ Jesus. And to remember that, that he, He's including us because He loves us. And He knows that as we were created to bear His image, that we're actually better off bearing His image. That's the best thing for us. And so we get to do that in normal everyday life. We get to bear the image of our Father in Heaven who, who wants to to show that to your neighbor and to, to the people at the pub or, I don't know, at Pottery Barn, if you go to Pottery Barn, like my wife. <laughs> so if you're tired today, I just if you want to pray with me, I'd be happy to pray with you. I don't know if, Zach, if you have anything to say. But just wanted to say that.